Hi, Simon Hill here. Enjoy our podcast. If you'd like to help us keep delivering the sort of quality football chat you want, then you can show your support by making a donation. Big or small, however much you can afford, we appreciate all your help and every cent will be ploughed back into improving production. Thanks in advance from all of us at Shim, Spider and so much more. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. It's Craig Moore. What a piece. Beautifully struck home by Craig Moore. And the Australian supporters go wild in Stuttgart. Why not? Touched by Kalach. Rickson's got a kick. Celtic couldn't handle Wood on the set piece. It's a brilliant header. And Tail goes to Spitzenko. What about that? What about that? Here's Aloisi for a place in the World Cup. He's You're with Shim, Spider, and so much more. Take it away, fellas. Yes, hello again. Good to have your company for episode 19 of Shim, Spider, and so much more. How time flies. As you may have noticed, we've moved to a new server this week via ACAST. This is one of a number of changes we're hoping to implement over the next few weeks to make the podcast a better technical product and therefore a better listen. We'll have more to come on that next week, I hope. As for this week, we've got Kevin Muscat coming up as our special guest in the final part of the show. And before that, we'll be discussing, among other things, the domestic transfer system and FFA's decision to block Wellington Phoenix's application to join the W League. So let's welcome my two comrades as we head into battle. Zelko Kalatz, a.k.a. Spider, who's still waiting for the big kickoff in Greece. And Craig Moore, who's perhaps still being swept up in Scottish celebrations at qualifying for a first major tournament since 1998. How are we, gentlemen? Uh, All right, lads. Very well. (laughs) Spider, you're still waiting for for a start date in Greek Super League 2. What on earth is going on? Yeah, I, I've uh, I've seen a lot of things in my career, but I've never seen something like this where we just don't know when we're going to start. So now they're in, in this mini lockdown till the end of November. Uh, there's talk is that it could be in December sometime, but mate, that's to be seen. We we really don't know. Uh, all we can do is keep training, keep preparing, and uh, waiting to get told when we can play. Goodness me. Uh, Maury, Scotland defeating Serbia on penalties to earn a place at the Euros. So big celebrations in your neck of the woods. Interestingly, Lyndon Dykes, of course, are part of it. And his comments this week uh, saying he chose Scotland because playing for Australia was the easy route to the World Cup. It's all a bit unnecessary, isn't it? Or is he just playing to the local audience? Uh, mate, look, maybe. I, I think look, I'd rather probably stick to the, the fact that... Um, you know, something that we kind of experienced, Simon, in Australia, you know, 32 long year wait for a World Cup qualification. Scotland have waited 22 years to, to be back on that uh, main stage again. And, and Lyndon, Ty- Lyndon Dykes played a, 
an important role for a large part of that game. I thought Scotland were very good against Serbia um, and, and probably over the course of the, the, the full 90 minutes deserved to go through. They conceded late, as we know, and, and Serbia did have a late crack at them. But Scotland managed to go through on penalties. So, look, fantastic. Good time for me to be back, to be honest with you, Simon, because there's a lot of positivity now about the game. Uh, and, and also their, their group at the Euros. Two of those games will be in Scotland as well. So fantastic news for Scotland. Indeed. Um, they could be playing England as well, I think. Wembley, right? yes. Oh, that'll be interesting. All right. Uh, looking forward to getting your thoughts on uh, a load of different topics, guys. Let's get into it with Hard Talk. Hard Talk. Hard Talk is brought to you by StreamGate, which has been live streaming since 2008, specializing in custom-built stream pages, pay-per-view, and multi-language streaming. They can cater to large online conferences with multiple simultaneous streams and destinations, including all social media channels servicing clients Australia-wide. Go to streamgate.com.au or find them on Instagram. So, guys, one of our major topics this week is the domestic transfer system. FFA uh, says it is working on the development of a DTS reform white paper. Sounds like government, doesn't it, to be launched in early yeah. December. I, I think we all agree we need this domestic transfer system. But how should it look? Should it just be the same as we see in Europe? Or do we need to adapt it to an Australian market, Maury? Um, look, I'd, I would like to see us for the majority uh, of whatever transfer system is going to come in place for it to look um, a lot like what it does throughout the world, Simon. I think that makes a, a lot of sense. Um, look, we, we need to understand that in Australia, still financially, the game is 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 struggling. And so all of a sudden, if you're thinking that, you know, A-League clubs are going to buy players for 500000 a million dollars, that's not going to happen tomorrow. Um, so what that's going to look like, but... Um, it's more about in terms of the, the, the contracts, the, 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 the protection for the clubs. Um, and I guess if there's going to be any area where we need to be slightly different, Simon, is um, I think with the younger players, you know. So if a younger player, for example, is not getting the opportunity at a particular club, then you don't want to be in a situation where potentially... The, the pathway or opportunity out with that club can be blocked due to you know, training compensation, something, something like this. You know, this is something that potentially can hold back players if they're deemed to not be good enough at one particular club. That's something I think that would need a little bit of work on. Spider, uh, your view on whether a domestic transfer system will help NPL clubs because they develop a lot of talent. Uh, they don't always get compensated, or at least not in the financial way that perhaps they should be, for developing that talent. No, 100%. I think we've spoken about this many times on the show. I think it's important that there's money filtered back to the clubs that are developing these players. So we all say the A-League is the top league. We know that they're the clubs with the majority of the money. So if they do want players from the MPL clubs, they've got to pay. Obviously, we're not talking massive, massive figures, but it all adds up. I mean, there's 12 A-League clubs around Australia that can actually filter through MPL clubs and take players that if they filter money back towards those clubs, they, they can keep developing young players. So I, I think 
the transfer the transfers have got to be in accordance to to Europe. So I think the deadlines have to be the same. Uh, with regards to your question about uh, do we want it Australia, just keep it in Australia, or make it more European? I think mm. we have to do it the European. Same deadlines, same everything. Players under contracts. Um, Loans are going to be a major, major point. I think that uh, loans, what kind of figures clubs will be able to get for these loans is another huge thing because money, as we know, is the biggest problem in Australian football. And that, and, and sorry, in spite of that, the, the, the loan situation, we know that even in Europe um, and other parts of the world, um, the old days, clubs would pay a loan fee. And then obviously there would maybe be a split in terms of, of salary. But what we see more and more now because of the financial situation all over the world, that loan deals sometimes are just now uh, an agreement between clubs where they, um, where they split the salary. Um, yeah. it, it doesn't necessarily always mean that there's a, there's a loan fee involved. And I'm just trying to think again, because finances and how we struggle in Australia Different when you've got these MPL players that are being developed and then they're making the step to the A-League clubs. Money, money must be paid for that. Yeah. Um, whether or not the, the, the loan situation, clubs are going to, in Australia, pay fees for, for, for loan players or whether there's just going to be a, a sharing of, of salary. Um, so it, it's going to, yeah, that would work. It's, it's, it's just not going to be that simple. Um, you know, even in terms of, you know, transfers between uh, Australian Australian clubs, spies like you, you know yourself. How many clubs are in a position now where they could they could fork out a, a decent amount of money for a player? They're they're not, are they? So I don't know. Like, do you do do you then start to look at um, you know a certain amount of money can be paid if an A League player has played a certain amount of games? I just I don't know. There's so many different ways you could take this, but it's good that we're going to have a transfer system loan system in place. It's much needed. That's it. That white paper is going to be fascinating when it is revealed in early December. Keep our eyes on that. Um, let's move on to a controversial decision already made this week uh, by the FFA to deny Wellington Phoenix the green light to have a team in the W League. Now, Phoenix uh, uh, said to have New Zealand government back into the tune of half a million dollars, but the FFA has refused to bend the eligibility regulations, limiting foreigners to five per club. Uh, the feeling, perhaps, Spider, was that they, they might use the team as a de facto national side ahead of the 2023 Women's World Cup, which, of course, we're, we're both jo uh, co hosting, not Joe hosting, co hosting. <laughs> yeah. And look, I, I get both sides of the party's stories here. Like, I understand uh, Football Australia for making this decision because they could just actually put the uh, girls New Zealand team in the, in the W League in preparation for the World Cup. Uh, and that's, that's probably wrong for the league. Um, for the W League, it would have been great to have another team in the league, uh, according to the rules of five international players if Wellington really wanted to be a part of it I think they would accept that yeah and when, what, what is the situation with that Simon I mean I, I, I totally agree with the FFA's position it's you know the league is is the Australian league um, and and we certainly for one uh, team that sits outside of Australia that actually could be a huge benefit for the the Women's World Cup in 2023 we we shouldn't be looking to change the, the eligibility uh, eligibility or regulations. I, I agree with the FFA there, but um, is there any chance that the, uh, the Wellington 
Phoenix would push through under the criteria that the FFA want them to, to uh, adhere to? Yeah, I, I doubt that, to be honest. Um, and I think, you know, th- this is obviously where the sticking point is. It, it appears that, you know, Wellington desperately wants to have a W League team. There's nothing wrong with that. that that's fantastic. Um, but obviously, they want to use it to develop their players, which is understandable in the, in the same way that, you know, the, the Australian uh, League wants to develop for, yeah. for the Matildas and the Socceroos. Um, yeah, I, I, I'm sort of with you on this, on this, guys. I think you, you understand where the FFA are coming from. Equally, you understand what Wellington wants and, and are, are prepared to offer. I think probably the loser in all of this, to be fair, is the W League because we do need a, another team. Um, yeah. You know, we, we need a, a consistent home and away season as well and a longer season for, for our girls uh, and women. So anyway, it's not going to happen for the time being, according to the FFA. Um, talking to the, the Women's World Cup, South, the South Australian government this week uh, confirming a significantly increased investment into High Marsh, uh, $45 million as opposed to the initial $3 million. Uh, new shade over the Eastern Grandstand, a new pitch. I'm not sure we yeah. need that at High Marsh. Dressing rooms, corporates, media, etc. Is it enough? And, and crucially, there's going to be no increase in capacity, which is a what strange is one capacity? for me. What is a capacity? And a half, I think. Yeah, it's about 16 and a half, 17, something like that, yeah. 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 Uh, look, I mean, look, it would, have been, it would have been nice to go up to about 20,000. You would have thought, Maury, 20. But you know, Hindmarsh at twenty thousand is is perfect. Forty five million is a lot of money. Mm. You could actually knock that stadium down and build a new one for that price. Well, again, I don't know the ins and outs of financially what that what that would look like. I mean, Simon says that was uh, it was one of your points, wasn't it, Simon? A, a few weeks of, uh, about the the investment and making sure that it goes into a, a football stadium. Um, we speak a lot about. Uh, boutique kind of um, stadiums in Australia and how successful they are. I've not got a huge problem uh, in terms of the size, um, but the, you know the, the the investment in an improved facility, I, I think, is a real positive, and just glad that it's going to something that football is going to benefit from. Yeah, look, I think you know any investment into football, uh, particularly of that size, is to be welcomed. It, it just it seems as though we always have to fight so hard, doesn't it, for, for whatever scraps we can get on the table. And yet this week we, we see uh, the Victorian government, I know they're not the same as the South, South Australian government, but uh, handing out $36.5 million, uh, off the cuff to develop uh, Witten Oval for a training ground for the Bulldogs AFL team. Uh, in in Melbourne and um, that seems to happen an awful lot and it doesn't seem to happen very often uh, to our code anyway let's hope that changes with the Women's World Cup on the horizon Um, talking of national teams the Ollie Roos played a friendly against Sydney on Thursday I don't know if you saw any of this uh, game guys I I actually called it along with Trevor Morgan Uh, Sydney won easily by three goals to nil ahead of their Champions League campaign any thoughts on uh, where the Ollie Roos are at they looked very rusty first 20 minutes better after that in fairness yeah I thought the strips were fantastic (laughs) (laughs) true (laughs) <laughs> Look, I, I, I thought I thought Sydney I thought Sydney were a team that you could see that had been together for a while, and the Ollie Roos obviously clearly haven't played together for a long time. Uh, put together in a short space of time, not all their players, which is a hard one to gauge as well. There's a lot of good players out of that Ollie Roos team that were missing. Yeah, but it was a good run for them, and it was a good opportunity for all of them to show uh, Arnie what what they've got. They they were short. Um, and there's a lot of work to be done still, 
And, and this is we're still it's a yeah spider because you touch on also there's a couple of key players I think Bahalja did he play for Sydney Simon he, he played did. for Sydney yeah, and scored and scored and you've got Diagostino obviously that's been left at, at Perth so Riley McGree is, Harry Suter Daniel Arzani there's there's a few still to come back loads so this may be just a little bit of a discovery group uh, working for for Arnie at the moment to see what's there and to see whether or not. You know, he, he maybe missed anything or whether somebody was a little bit closer than, than what he had anticipated. So, second game, MacArthur, is that going ahead? Yeah, that's, that's on Tuesday afternoon, which is recorded, uh, which is played after this recording. Right. Yeah, well, what I, I, think, I think it's fantastic that the Oli Roos are getting to play the A-League clubs. I think that's, that's, a great, that's a great initiative. These guys need to play more games together and the A-League clubs are there play against them, play against the NPL clubs. The more games these guys get, the better prepared they'll be. Here, here. All right, let's move on and talk a little bit about the Champions League, which is uh, set to resume this week. Uh, Perth taking on Shanghai Shenhua on Wednesday. Uh, Shenhua led by Choi Kang-hee, the South Korean who's won the Champions League twice. Um, they didn't have the greatest of seasons in China. They finished uh, seventh, but they got, they got some big weapons. Giovanni Moreno, the Colombian, Stefan Al-Sharawi, the Italian, and Kim Shin-Wook, who's probably the biggest South Korean I think I've ever seen. He's about six foot six. So uh, how do you rate Perth's chances, Spider? Um, particularly given that Richard Garcia, I'm told, has not got his pro license in time. So he's, he's got to have Chris Ola on the bench with him as well, sort of a, as a technical director, because you've got to have the right qualifications. They've left out Andy Keogh from the squad, but they do have Castro and Fornaroli. Do you, do you see them having a chance of getting through this section? Look, uh, I don't really see that they've got a chance of getting through. Uh, Shanghai Shenhua, massive club, big underachievers. Um, but Perth will be struggling. They're, you know, new team put together now, short turnaround, uh, going away to play a champ. Look, it's going to be very, very difficult for all the Aussie teams. That's for sure. Difficult. And by the way, Moreno, he was still there. He's been there for a while. Eh? He was there when Brisbane Raw played. Uh, That's Shenwell. right. Yeah. Way yeah. back. Yeah, and they had Obi Martins, and also um, who was that most expensive player in the world at the time? Tevez. Um, yeah, so, yeah. But look, you're right. Spider, that they have underachieved at this level. Um, any of the Australian teams, unfortunately, are, are undercooked in terms of preparation, whether we like it or not. Um, we, you know, hopefully they go and they perform and they 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 do well. Big ask though, um, but most importantly, hopefully everyone that travels is, is safe and, and, and everything is done properly and they return back home safe and, and healthy. Well, Sydney uh, posted photos of their trip to Doha with the masks and the visors and everything on social media uh, yeah. the other day. Uh, they take on the other team in Shanghai, SIPG, on Thursday. Um, our best wishes incidentally to Ryan McGowan, a former guest on our podcast who was diagnosed with uh, COVID. Apparently, to still hopefully might be able to play some part in the Champions League campaign once he's done his self-isolation, but we shall see on that one. Um, SIPG, Maury, they lost their Champions League playoff in the domestic league over two legs to Beijing. Uh, Oscar is injured. They've won only one of their last seven games in the Chinese Super League. Uh, of course, they have Hulk and Marko on Arnautovic, but maybe not in their best moment at the moment. Yeah, no, and, and that's a thing. But but you look at the players. I mean, you, you, Aaron Moyes, obviously, your Hulk, and, and, and Arnautovic, and we know how, how quality, how well he'd done in England. Uh, they have top, top players, but yeah, they haven't. 
they haven't been firing. Uh, but sometimes the, I'm not saying the distraction, but the, the opportunity to be involved in a different tournament, different case scenario, uh, all of a sudden can bring out different performances. Um, sometimes that, that other tournament, like I said, domestic football, and then you have the, um, the Asian stuff or in Europe, you have the European stuff. It's a nice way to break up things and, and maintain freshness and, and people challenge it within a squad. On paper, they're fantastic, um, but they've not been hitting their straps in recent times. I'll be looking to change that. Sydney, you know, like all Australian teams, Simon, will be not where they would like to be, I would, I would uh, imagine. But Sydney can be a very difficult team to play against. They're a, they're a group that have been together for some time. We know what a great job Steve Corica has done. So, you know, they, they've got a really good opportunity in this match. Okay, um, we'll see how they go. They tend to draw too many games, don't they, in the Champions League. Uh, Sydney, they've also got to play uh, John Book and uh, Antiposikoglu's Yokohama F. Marinos, who had a very good win in the J-League, uh, defeating uh, Urawa Red Diamonds to ease the pressure on the Ange uh, over the weekend. Uh, we'll look at victory next week. They don't play until the 24th of November against Beijing. Quickly on the domestic front before we move overseas, guys. Uh, MacArthur FC Spider have signed Benyat Echevarria, 33 years old, four caps for Spain, played in the Champions League for Athletic Bilbao. Ante Milicic looks as though he's putting together quite a, a useful squad. Putting together a very nice squad, isn't he? Uh, considering the situation in Australia. So, I mean, they're, they're preparing, they're preparing well and they're recruiting well. Uh, I think they're going to have a very good season. Uh, MacArthur, I think this is a very good signing. Uh, Spanish, play, Spanish players are suited very well to Australian football, and especially the way Ante wants to play. I think yeah. it's a great signing. He's got, he's got a serious profile, Spides, as well. Eh? Over 250 La Liga games. Um, yep. had, had played for the Spanish uh, national side, although that was way back in, in 2012. But at only 33 years of age, um, he should really go um, and, and dominate in Australia. I think it's a fantastic profile. And as you mentioned, Spides, the Spanish players have come and done well in Australia. We'll see if he becomes uh, another Isaias, shall we? Um, other news around the A-League. Uh, Bernie Abini not training with the Jets due to stress leave. We uh, covered that on the podcast a week or two back. Mirza Maratovic has signed for Wellington Phoenix. Interesting. I would have thought Brisbane would have wanted to have kept him. A promising youngster. George Timoteu signed for Adelaide United. And the Olly Roo, Dylan Ryan has put pen to paper on a deal with Melbourne Victory. All right, uh, let's head overseas, shall we? London calling. London calling. Yeah, London calling. Perhaps we should have renamed it this week, Liverpool calling. Spider, I'm going to start with you for our overseas segment. Uh, news overnight on Sunday of the death of one of the legendary goalkeepers uh, from the 70s and 80s, Ray Clements of Liverpool and later Tottenham and, of course, 61 caps for England, uh, three European Cups, five league titles, very decorated player, very well-respected player and tragic that he's left us at the age of 72. Yeah, what a great goalkeeper he was. Uh, sad, sad news and condolences to, to all the family and supporters out there. How, how good a goalkeeper was he, uh, Spider? I remember growing up in England, the, the, the debate was always Shilton or Clements, Shilton or Clements. Now, I have to confess, I was a Shilton man, but Clements was a fantastic goalkeeper. I, I loved Clements as well. Uh, he, Clements, for me, had a, had a presence and a calmness about him. You know, he, 
he was one of he reminded me a little bit of David Seaman. You know, like David Seaman was a goalkeeper that you actually didn't take much notice of until you watched him live. Clements was the same. He never done anything extraordinary, but he seemed to do things so easily that you actually forget that's how good he is because he does it so easy. Our condolences to uh, the Clements family and to everybody who knew him. Um, no Premier League action, of course, this week, Maury, but some great stories in the nation, Nations League. We've mentioned Scotland, of course, already. First qualification in 22 years. But also the likes of Hungary and Finland, North Macedonia have qualified for the Euros. First qualification for the latter two. Um, sort of justifies this extended European Championship in many ways, doesn't it? Which I, I have to admit, I was a, a bit sceptical of when they, when they first expanded it. But uh, it seems to have sort of galvanised interest in many ways. Well, it has because what what it's provided is a, a a second opportunity for certain for certain countries, um, and you know that that for me is a wonderful thing. Um, also, you know, it takes away from I guess the the meaningless friendlies that we we used to see on a, on a regular basis. I think the the UEFA Nations has, has certainly filled that gap, and and as we've spoken about quite a number of times this year. How crazy a year it's been, but you know, there's there's opportunities and surprises and uh, a wind of change in football, Simon. It's great to see some of these teams uh, qualifying for tournaments that normally you wouldn't see. Indeed, yeah. um, for, for for me, for me, it was just uh, a bit of Australia in 2005. The excitement of football again to see, you know, North Macedonia qualify. This. The, the streets were a buzzing. Uh, it was unbelievable. And to see Hungary qualify, Scotland, Maury. Maury's yeah. been on the drink for three days. <laughs> Still celebrating. <laughs> Mate, it's lockdown. Where, where are you drinking? <laughs> what else is he supposed to do? Um, a strange one. Just quickly on the Scotland one. It's a very, very strange one, right? Because people in Scotland don't necessarily support Scotland. It, it makes no sense to me whatsoever. It's a really strange scenario. A lot of politics and the religious kind of um, undercurrent of things. It's weird. Like, for me, it should be just a great moment for Scottish football and everyone's behind it. But you'll still get some people that aren't behind their teams qualified for the Euros. They don't support them. Well, let me tell you, it's exactly the same in England in certain spots uh, as well. It's one of the very complicated... Uh, things about the United or, or disunited kingdom is that pl people are much more attached to their club sides than they are their national teams. Anyway, that's for another day. Maybe we'll discuss that on a future podcast. Uh, talking of uh, England, they went down to Belgium by two goals to nil. No, no surprise there. The Belgians beat us every single time. Uh, France, the world champions, beat Portugal, the European champions, by the only goal. N'Golo Kante uh, with the winner. And uh, Sergio Ramos missed two penalties for Spain as they could only draw with Switzerland. Moving away from the uh, from the Nations League, um, I want your views on this, both of you guys. Uh, UEFA has written to FIFA this week to request an adjustment <laughs> to the yes. handball rule again. Alexander Seferin wants referees to be given back the discretion as to whether a, ball has, a player has handled a ball intentionally or not. Um, goodness me, we do tie ourselves up in knots with all this. And whilst they're about it, if they're going to look at the handball rule, can they look at the offside rules? <laughs> can we just go back to how it used to be, for goodness sake? Oh, wouldn't, that, wouldn't that be great? Hallelujah. Common sense, uh, the handball and, and the decisions. And every weekend we're, we're, we're debating whether, actually not whether it is or it isn't. It's like, how is that given? How is that a penalty? Another thing, Simon, even the penalties, like any contact now in the box is a penalty, isn't it? Mm. 
you know, whereas the rules over, over a period of time have never, you're allowed to make contact in the box. But some of the penalties that, that, that I've You'd have given away about 100 penalties a game, I think. <laughs> At least. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, oh, dear. Um, but the offside one, uh, I mean, what was it? Was it the, the Bamford one uh, that, that, for me, I think has yeah. set all this rolling? Because that was, that was an absolute joke, it was. Um, Spider, uh, I, I suppose I should ask Maury this more than Spider, but uh, we saw that uh, Nobby Stiles and Jack Charlton passed away recently through dementia. Very, very serious topic, this. Um, and Gareth Southgate has sort of said something very interesting this week in the UK press, admitting that he's a little bit concerned for his future after, and I quote, heading an awful lot of footballs during my career. Maury, as a centre-back, this was part of your gig, wasn't it? You know, in the air, winning balls in the air. Is this something that concerns you? And and do we need a lot more research into this? Because it appears to me that an awful lot of footballers are starting to suffer from this later in life. No, nah, yeah. And when I seen this come up on the, the rundown, Simon, I was like, I, I know how, how Gareth South, Southgate feels. I feel exactly the same way. When you start to then consider, I mean, my career was, you know, heading the balls, uh, regularly training uh, warm-ups it was like yeah it, it is a concern and I know Chris Sutton uh, is also very active uh, in, in this area uh, around about we need to be doing more and it needs to happen now because we don't want to keep hearing of um, of these particular situations popping up which unfortunately they will but let's do something about it um it is a concern. And like I said, Gareth Southgate coming out and saying that, that he was concerned about it, mate, I am as well. Spider, anything to add on that? Didn't really affect yeah, you as a goalkeeper, uh, I suppose, did it? You didn't head too many balls. No, we just got kicked in the head. <laughs> um, <laughs> no, but I, look, I think it's great that they start doing something about it. Um, you, you, you could never be... Better to be safe than sorry. And uh, for people to start talking about this and putting things in place... I think it's a good thing. Absolutely. Um, feel good story from England this week, Spider. We'll stick with you. AFC Wimbledon. I don't know if you ever played there, but they've returned to Plough Lane after 29 years away. Um, I, I remember going standing on those crumbling terraces at, at Plough Lane. It was, of course, a non-league ground. And then uh, they left and sort of went on this nomadic journey. And, and as a part of that journey is uh, the, the very uh, tragic tale of the fact that they, they were basically sold down the river by the FA and, and moved to Milton Keynes because they had no stadium. But they're finally back. And it's cost them only $55 million. And it's a great little stadium. Why, why, do, why do stadiums cost so much in Australia to build? Explain <laughs> it to me. That's, that's why I said, yeah, I, I can't believe it because, you know, there, you can build really nice boutique stadiums for not much money in Europe, but it's, they're made differently in Europe compared to in Australia. In Australia, everything is constructed in a certain way. So, you know, the cost gets blown out. But these, you, you would know the, the lower league grounds much better than I do in England. There's some beautiful lower league grounds and mm. they wouldn't have cost a lot of money. And to see these old clubs go back to where they started, where they made history is fantastic for me. That's a, yeah, that's a great story, Simon. I know that you'd love this one, Ella, because you're massive in terms of the, the history of football. And um, I think to be able 
I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Able to return where, where people know and where it used to happen all those years ago. I think it's fantastic. I think it's a great story. Yeah, it sure is. And the fact, of course, that this was a club, AFC Wimbledon, formed out of the ashes of the old Wimbledon FC and constructed with the love and attention of their supporters. And they literally held trials on Wimbledon Common when they first came back into being as a football club and had to work their way up. I think they started in the combined counties league in something like the eighth or ninth tier of English football. And here they are back in the league and they've got their own stadium back at their own ground, 200 yards away from where the old player lane used to be. That is proper football and dedication to your club. I think it's absolutely fantastic. So well done. Uh, Wimbledon. Quick uh, final one, guys, just on the Premier League. Uh, it'll be back uh, this coming weekend. Uh, Joe Gomez has had knee surgery for Liverpool. We know that Virgil van Dijk is out for most of the season. And now Mo Salah has been diagnosed uh, with COVID. Now, Liverpool got rather lucky last year. don't know whether you yes. call it luck, but they, they didn't have too many injuries. Could this affect their title defence, do you think? They're top of the shop at the moment. Well, 100% it's going to affect it. But I, didn't, I don't think they played as many games in such a short turnaround last year either. So they're, they're having the same problems that everyone else is having. Uh, the COVID's causing a problem. Mo Salah's gone to play with his national team, obviously travelled, got tested over there. Uh, and now he's positive. It's a difficult one, uh, but they've got a great manager and I'm sure he'll, he'll work it out how to rotate the squad and get the results that he needs. But it, it'll... It'll be a lot harder for him to win this year. That's for sure. Spides is rotating now with those huge misses to the squad. Is that going to be enough for, for Liverpool? I mean, does he go out and sign somebody knowing that he's got over 100, 100 million pounds in defenders that are out? Or does he look for a loan situation for somebody that can come in for the six months? Yeah, look, he's been quite strategic in the way he's signed players since he's got to Liverpool. He's not signed players that he hasn't needed. Uh, now in January, he needs players. So he, he might actually go out and buy, buy a couple of players, Maury. Yeah, but I just think, I mean, because they've got two younger boys that have come and, and done okay, isn't it? I think it was Nat Phillips and, and Reese Williams who, who've come in. But no Joe Gomez, no Van Dyke. Fabinho's just coming back, I think, Simon, from injury. Yeah, he'll be, he'll be back. And obviously, he can play there, although he's not a specialist centre-back. He's not a specialist centre-back. So, yeah, it'll be interesting to see what they, they'll do something. It'll just be interesting to see whether they sign somebody or whether, whether he looks to get somebody in on loan. Okay, we'll see what happens uh, maybe come the January transfer window. Uh, thanks for the moment, guys. Time to move on to our final segment. And we've got another huge guest in Footballers' Lives. Footballers' Lives. Now, our guest this week was born in Crawley in England in 1973 of Maltese descent. He began his playing career at Sunshine George Cross in the NSL, 
and after further stints with Heidelberg in South Melbourne, he went overseas for the first time in 1996, joining Crystal Palace, where he won promotion to the Premier League. The following year, he switched to Wolves, where he stayed for five years before joining Rangers on a free transfer in 2002, where he won the Scottish treble the next season. He was then captain of the Millwall side that reached the FA Cup final in 2004, although he missed the final itself through injury before returning home in 2005 to begin a near 15-year association with Melbourne Victory as a player and then coach, winning four grand finals, three premierships and an FA Cup. He won 46 caps for his country, scoring 10 goals in a 12-year international career. And in 2019, he left Victory. And this year, he was named head coach of St. Troyden in the Belgian First Division. And he joins us now from his base in the Flemish province of Limburg. It's a big podcast welcome to Kevin Muscat. How are you, Muskie? Very well, gentlemen. Yourself? Very Muskie good. Looks- um, You're looking sharp. <laughs> I have to, I have to say, Muskie... It, We've we've had the biggest response ever <clears throat> to it to a guest coming on this podcast. We've had so many questions. No way we'll fit uh, all of them in. Uh, not all, all of them. All favourable. All favourable. I've been Simon. <laughs> <laughs> um, let, let's kick off j- just by uh, asking you about how life is in Belgium at the moment. So you're on an international break, of course, just at present. But fair to say, it's. Uh, it's been a tough old start to life in the top flight in Belgium. You're, you're in the bottom three at the moment. How have you found it? Um, good, Simon. I mean, uh, originally uh, uh, coming here um, in the winter break last season in a very similar uh, position to where we are now uh, at, uh, and, and pulling away, if you like, from that relegation zone. And look, uh, it's it's tough. Uh, it's difficult. You know, the the initial initial months, uh, you know, brought back memories of uh, what it was like to be back in in uh, or involved in cutthroat football, if you like. Uh, and look, I was under no illusions of uh, the difficulty of the the challenge and the task, if you like. But uh, uh, look, I wouldn't have it any other way. It's uh, it's challenging. Uh, uh, and the two gentlemen that uh, are with us uh, this morning, uh, right now, so I'm going to testify because I speak to them regularly about it. It's been very challenging, but uh, uh, look, I, I couldn't be happier with the, with the task ahead. Um, let's get straight into a question because uh, yeah. I think a lot of people will be fascinated to know the differences between coaching in the A-League and in Europe. Um, Ethan Speeds uh, asks, were you ready? Did you feel ready for that challenge? And also, do you see yourself spending a lengthy period of time overseas? Uh, look, yeah, hopefully. I mean, the, the latter question first, hopefully. Uh, look, um, uh, this season, as I said, it, it's been difficult and it will continue to be difficult. It's, uh, there's no two ways about it. When you, uh, you know, weigh, up, weigh everything up, it's, uh, it's going to be, it's a tough task. Um, but uh, look, we've uh, managed to make some changes uh, and, and gradually making those changes. And there's so many things that, uh, that we're happy with. Uh, however, uh, it's it's a task that uh, you know week to week. It's the, the cutthroat uh, nature of the business and and uh, and the media and everything that goes with it. Um, uh, you know, I certainly felt. You know, uh, going back to the question, that I was prepared for it and ready for it. Um, albeit, you soon realise when you when you get here uh, that. Uh, uh, it's the isolation of uh, being a football manager is magnified even further because you're a foreigner in uh, taking effectively someone else's job. Got to be better, Muskie. That's normal. So, so, 
Sorry, Oz? I'm saying, you know, when, when you're a player, obviously the expectation is you're, you're better than, than, than what they have. And it's, it's no different as a coach, obviously, when mm. you come in as a foreigner, you really need to, to hit the ground running yeah. um, and be better than what, what's there, really. Yeah, and, and, and that was the thing. I mean, and, and the, 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 the one measure, measuring tool that we do have is the, is the playing group, uh, personally for us, because, uh, you know, we, we come in and, um, you know, with different methods and, and the way we train and uh, the way we uh, have meetings and present and analyse opponents and, and review ourselves. There were so many differences that they weren't used to and it's taken uh, some time. Uh, you know, initially uh, we got some results immediately, so uh, that belief and buying uh, was there um, to begin with. Uh, uh, and you know, it's a long story, but uh, you know, I was brought here with uh, with the owners and with the the current sports director and CEO uh, to to play a certain way and to uh, do go about things a certain way. And uh, you know, both you know, all parties understand that that's just not going to happen in a matter of months. Uh, We'll need uh, you know a few tr a few windows if you like to be able to make uh, the changes to to the point where we'll be happy. Must uh, Kakachi um, yep. <clears throat> obviously the player that you did have a a big influence in yeah. getting the, the football club. Uh, how has Kakachi settled into the football club and to the league? Um, very well, very well. Uh, I mean, the one thing, uh, uh, Spider, you you probably know a little bit more about Belgian football and. Uh, you know, having played in Holland, it's a very, very physical uh, com competition. Uh, you know, I, I remember playing in the championship and I thought that that was physical back then, but, uh, you know, it's certainly a, a real physical uh, comp. And, uh, and for Libby, he's got all the attributes uh, to uh, go on and have a really good career in the, in the game. Uh, and initially, to, to be able to hold your own here like he has in the first, you know, five, six weeks to come in uh, and almost immediately start to play. Uh, he's got the physical capacity with his body size and, and his speed and power to be able to compete. Uh, and, in, and in, you know, the months to come, we, uh, you know, expect some, some really good things from Libby. But he started really well. Mosky, um, let's go back to your playing days, um, long, long time ago, when, when you still had some hair, <laughs> when you started out at Sunshine George Cross. Um, what would you remember about those days? And I think Ernie Merrick was your coach, wasn't he, in those early days? Is that right? Um, Ernie gave me my uh, debut, correct. So I mean, uh, it was. I mean, my memory when 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 I was contacted by the by you guys for this, my memory's terrible. So I mean, it was and it was about. Oh, look, we're going to look back over your career. I thought, well, I you've got the uh, you've got all the answers because uh, my memory's terrible. But yeah, I was a youngster. And it was my uh, boyhood club. If you like, I started at Green Alley, another uh, Maltese club in the western suburbs, and uh, and then uh, was at George Cross, which. Uh, uh, it was obviously, you know, a club, a, a, a social environment where my, my father spent a lot of time. So um, for me to to, uh, to get a game in the first team uh, at such a young age was, uh, as you can imagine, you know, he was the, imagine he was, uh, you know, very proud and, and, and likewise myself because I didn't really know too much more, you know, because, uh, you know, a lot of my childhood, uh, a lot of my time was spent uh, at, at the club you know, kicking a ball around or, or waiting uh, for dad to finish his beer so we can go home. 
<laughs> um, Ernie, Ernie Merrick's been a, a sort of a constant throughout your your career. Certainly, he was there at Victory. You were, he was your uh, coach. Yeah. You were his captain. You seem to have a fallout a few years ago. Do, do you two speak <laughs> now? Are you on decent terms or, or, or not? I think the final nail in the coffin was the grand final in Newcastle. So, I mean, <laughs> yeah. there was, was maybe a few words spoken before then, but uh, certainly none since. And, uh, yeah, it's uh, the whole handshake, uh, comical handshake, uh, uh, annual event uh, that surrounded the whole situation was uh, childish for uh, one grown man and one very grown man. <laughs> um, still with it with your playing days uh, take us back to 1996 how, how did the move to England come about and not not just to any old club uh, but you went to Crystal Palace yeah uh, again Simon I mean I had the, that was directly uh, after the Olympic Games we were at uh, the Olympics in Atlanta um, and uh, yes I had a couple of I mean Dave Bassett uh, I, was on, I went to and trained with uh, Sheffield United you know a couple of years prior to that maybe 18 months prior to that uh, and you know things went really well and uh, whilst I was on trial he got the sack uh, so uh, uh, Howard Kendall actually come in so I mean you remember him Howard Kendall come in and obviously when a new gaffer comes in it's uh, so the training or trial was called off and anyway come back to Australia and uh, Obviously, Harry Bassett, he went to uh, Palace and they got beaten to play a final. Uh, and we were at the Olympics. Um, so, uh, you know, at the Olympics, I had a couple of options. Uh, had a couple of clubs in Holland I could have went to or, or uh, back to England. So I chose to uh, go to England and, uh, you know, the first season uh, couldn't have planned or found out any better, really. Yeah, you, get, you got promoted and, and you beat Sheffield yeah. United, strangely enough, in the, in the final at Wembley. The coincidence on because we were great. I mean, whilst I was at Sheffield, I, I, I become very friendly with a, a family who, if you like, took me uh, took me in and and uh, looked after me, and I spent quite a lot of time and become uh, uh, very good friends with uh, 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 Steve. Uh, and it was the the hardest day ever for him because obviously we I got to fulfil a childhood dream of playing at Wembley, uh, the old Wembley. You know, having watched you know all those FA Cup finals as a child with my with my father. Uh, and you know the hardest thing was we were we were so pleased after the game, but I got Steve and his family some uh, uh, lounge tickets for, for after the game, and uh, he, he says till to this day it was the hardest two hours of his life coming in there and uh, and, uh, and sharing a beer and, and pretending he was happy because it was uh, obviously disappointing for him that they uh, stayed in the in the championship. Um, you then moved on to Wolves, Muskie. He played alongside Steve Corica and Robbie Slater. Carl mm. Robinson, of course, is now in, in Australia as well. Um, mm. Wolves in that, in that era also had Robbie Keane and Steve Ball. He had a good side, but he just, yeah. he just couldn't get promoted, could you? He missed out twice in the playoffs. Yeah, it was a, a huge club, and it's obviously uh, you see its full potential now with uh, uh, um, the, the backing that they've got. But uh, yeah, it was always we were always there or thereabouts, and uh, you'll remember it well one year as well, Son, because it was ourselves and Man City who were uh, at Christmas we were uh, top of the league. Uh, I think we were a point behind you guys, and we were ten points, eleven points clear of third place, West Brom, and. Uh, that was my last year at Wolves uh, before I signed a pre-contract at Rangers. And uh, miraculously, as things happened, it happened to me whilst I was managing, then you, you sort of fall out of the playing squad. And I uh, didn't really play much in the back half of the season. And 
and it was West Brom that uh, beat us to the automatic uh, promotional place. But it was a, uh, a still a massive regret that uh, uh, we didn't win promotion. And uh, without going into detail, there's you know again accountability. People got to take responsibility. There were some things that went on that uh, cost us promotion. Muskie, do you think that at that time, because you said you signed a pre-contract with yeah. the Rangers, uh, did, did that, I mean, it does happen at football clubs, but did that impact yeah. the decision for you not to play in terms of the coach and the club? It wasn't. I was actually, you know, started the year as skipper of the club, uh, Oz, and, uh, you know, Dave Jones was the, the gaffer at the time and uh, slowly, as managers do, and, you know, now more than most, I can understand, you know, they're bringing in their own players and, uh, you know, a number of things happened in that pre-season uh, in terms of my contract extension and, uh, and things were, you know, eventually it just got to the point where, um, you know, I didn't believe what I was being told. Um, and then uh, when I had signed or when it was uh, touted or I did sign a, uh, a pre-contract, yeah, the sort of the relationship, uh, um, I suppose, fell away with uh, the manager at the time. Um, and it was disappointing, like I said, because I'd been there five years uh, and I was club captain at the start of the season and to finish the way it did in January to be top of the table or, or in automatic places by 10 points, I think we uh, we got a little bit, uh, I suppose, complacent. Mosca, they finally got promoted the year that uh, you left. <laughs> um, but yeah. you, you did okay uh, because you went to Rangers, as you said, and, and you won the treble mm. at, at Ibrox that, uh, that year that you had in Glasgow, <laughs> linking up with Maury and playing alongside the yeah. likes of Mikel Arteta and Ronald De Boer and Shota Arvaladze, as well yeah. as Maury, of course. Yeah, it, could have, it couldn't have been, uh, been... I've made so many friends at Wolves, so I was really pleased uh, that they uh, won promotion. But, gee, if we didn't win anything at Rangers that year, it wouldn't, it wouldn't have been too good. So I'm leaving Wolves and they get promoted. But, yeah, in all honesty, it was... Uh, uh, and, and not because more is here. And you know, it was, uh, you know, uh, one of the best years of, uh, of my life, not only for the football side of it. Uh, my, my youngest, James, was born there as well. And uh, we won the treble. Uh, and it was just a fantastic uh, team spirit um, and a fantastic, uh, you know, 15, 16 months that I spent in Glasgow. Muskie, it was a great year, uh, the, the, oh, yeah. the triple. And, uh, <laughs> mate, we had, we had a decent crew together, didn't we? <laughs> <laughs> I, I reckon... <laughs> I reckon... Spider, did you not make a trip up to the Glasgow when we were up there? I'm pretty, mate, you've, you've come and visited me everywhere I've been. Mate. No, mate, I, I can't believe I didn't even get a story about Wolverhampton. I had one of the best oh. nights ever in Wolverhampton. Oh, Simon, we, we got to go back to this one. So, just, <laughs> Please so, do. Just, just quickly, Simon, <laughs> right? I'll do the quick versions. So the big fella has an in, uh, uh, winter break. In, in Italy, and we, we play through, as you know, in the UK. So I says, Spider, he says, look, I'm coming over, I'm bringing the family, we're all coming. I think, oh, Spider, I've got a game on the 26th, I've got a game on the uh, on the 29th, I've got a... And he goes, yeah, we'll be right, we'll be right. <laughs> One in the morning, just come on, we'll go for a bite to eat. We had a few uh, drinks, as you normally do. We end up in the casino, as, as you normally do. Uh, and we got out of the casino, we must have spent a few hours longer than we expected in there, Simon, because we got out and the snow must have been four or five inches thick <laughs> on the road. So we end up behind a milk float. Simon, you, you remember the, yeah. how they deliver the milk in the UK? So we live, I live about 25 minutes away now. So you could imagine we're behind this milk float for 25 minutes. So it took us about 
normal 25 minute journey. It took us about two and a half hours, three hours to get home. So I basically had enough time to go in, have a shower, and then go straight to training while the big fella slept all day. Great stuff. Good memory, Spider. Brilliant. Gold. Um, So you you, you leave Rangers after just one season um, and you sign for Millwall and you get all the way to the FA Cup final in 2004 alongside a certain Timmy Cale. Um, And unfortunately, you you miss out because you got injured in the semi-final victory itself. Does that remain one of perhaps your biggest Regrets, not that you could do anything about it because you were injured, yeah. but is, is that one of the biggest disappointments of your career? Yeah, it's probably a better word, some disappointment rather than regret because, yeah, it's just uh, these things happen. And, um, yeah, and it was actually the semi-final I was injured in the, at Old Trafford against Sunderland um, where we beat them 1-0 and played in every round up until that. And, uh, yeah, as you said, it would have been, it would have been nice. Um, and, you know, going to from Rangers to, to, to Mill was... A, it was a calculated risk uh, because uh, uh, the, the gap at the time at Rangers, Alec McLeish, uh, Rangers were starting to go through some uh, issues financially and he was honest enough to say, look, it's going to be, uh, you know, we've got three fullbacks and we start, we, we need to start to shift some players and uh, uh, we were coming into like a World Cup uh, cycle or year or so. I thought, well, uh, I've got a better chance of playing. So I went and it, it all turned out well because I was playing well. And as you said, I made the, we made the FA Cup final uh, with Dennis Wise as, uh, uh, as, as, the, as the manager. And yeah, we uh, had a great relationship with Wise. And again, uh, you know, made some really good friends over the journey. And, uh, and you know, during the semi-final, I thought to myself uh, after the injury, I thought I'm going to go home because I just didn't want to be around the place. And, you know, you could see everyone really getting excited and, you know, you're going to try the suits on and the, you know, the, the traditions around the FA Cup, mm. uh, which are fantastic. Uh, uh, but why has he convinced me to stay? Because he wanted me to be a part of it. And, uh, you know, I went across with the boys. It wasn't played at Wembley. It was it played in Wales because of the refer, obviously, the, the, the stadium being uh, redone. Uh, and in the end, I'm, I'm glad that I hung around and uh, we played Man United. I'm glad I hung around and uh, Wisey actually pushed me out in the last moment to lead the team out because traditionally it's obviously the managers that do it. Um, and in the last moment, he was having a blow up with uh, the FA officials because, uh, you know, they, they, they were obviously explaining to him, you can't go against tradition and, you know, what the English are like with their traditions. And he said, yeah, OK, no problem, no problem. But uh, in the end, he just pushed me out. So I'm walking out alongside Sir Alex Ferguson with my crutches. Uh, and <laughs> I could tell he wasn't pleased, Simon, because he didn't bloody wait. He just kept walking. <laughs> 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 yeah, so uh, he wasn't, I don't think he was pleased with Wise either. Uh, Muskie, international football. You were obviously, you were involved and, and represented mm. the country for, what, 15 10, 15 years, as long. I mean, we all come through together with, with Spider uh, and a lot of, a lot of boys. Uh, used to love when we used to get called into the national team because normally you get people saying, I've got a tight hamstring. Yeah, we were trying to get on the phone to Gary Moretti and try and find out ways that we could get back earlier. <laughs> yeah. it, was always, it was always quite uh, fortunate because, I mean, I was in, uh, always in, a, in a, a city where you can get quick flights and direct flights and, and good flights. So we'd preempt and get on the gas early to tr- whether it was back to Melbourne or back to Sydney for uh, on the night flights immediately after the game or wherever it was in Europe where we'd, we'd uh, make plans and yeah, good memories. I was, you know, really good memories uh, of, 
uh, had trips to Venezuela and uh, oh, I just loved that. That, that one was a trip. Argentina. <laughs> <and> <laughs> Musky, so the and I got to touch on it because, like I said, uh, yeah. Tony Vidmar had obviously the the hard issue. Unfortunately, he missed the the World Cup. Mm. You were you were another player that was involved in in three or four campaigns and and that roller coaster ride of yeah. nearly qualifying, not qualifying, and then eventually Australia qualified for the World Cup. And unfortunately, you didn't uh, you didn't yeah. go to that World Cup. Yeah, look, it's it's probably something I've uh, only recently uh, uh, let go of um, because uh, it, it it was eating at me for you know, like I said, only till recently, Oz, and uh, because you know when I, I kept looking at the squads or you know whenever the conversations like this come up, you know, I'd uh, without being disrespectful whatsoever to anybody, um, you know, I, I I couldn't understand uh, you know if it was if it was purely on football how. Uh, you know, I wasn't in the in the squad, but uh, now I suppose in the last few years, uh, you know, being on, on this side of the fence, and uh, and I always thought to myself, you know, I, I was owed, I always thought I was owed an explanation. I was always thought, you know, the game owed me something, or you know, Australian football owed me something, an explanation. But the reality is, I understand now, and I'm, I'm fully accepting of it. You, you know, the game doesn't owe you anything. No one owes. You know, I'm not. I'm not owed an explanation because of my services to uh, Australian football. It was a. Uh, it was a decision that uh, that the, the coach at the time made. Uh, and like I said, it's only recent times that I've been able to release that and and, and not think about it too much. Uh, Muskie, I just want to ask you uh, one more question about your club career, which obviously concerns Melbourne Victory. You moved back, as I say, yeah. in 2005. Um, you, you couldn't have dreamt, really, of the success and the connection you would have had with that club specifically, because you'd moved around a, a reasonable amount, same as a lot of players do during their playing career. Mm. But, but Victory is really where you, you found your home. And as I say, four grand mm. final wins, two as player, uh, a couple as coach. Um, a couple of losing grand finals as well, but overall, an, an incredible connection that you had with Victory. How, how do you reflect mm. upon that time now? It must hold a very special place in your heart, that club. Oh, without doubt, Simon. Uh, and it's it, it become, I suppose, it, it snowballed because you you know you become so synonymous with one organisation and one team and one club uh, over a quite a long period of time that. Uh, it's the opposite for everybody else, you know, all this, uh, because, you know, everybody else wants to see you fail and everyone else wants to, because of, you know, my affiliation that I had with uh, with one club for, for such a long period of time. And, and yes, I'd push the envelope and uh, as much as people don't want to admit it, but, you know, the success doesn't help you either win popularity votes because, uh, you know, people don't want to see uh, the same people or the same teams or the same clubs succeed. Uh, and the time I spent at Victory, we were, uh, you know, very successful in those, in those from, from that uh, perspective. Uh, and there were a number of things, a number of groundbreaking things that, you know, go back and, you know, we had a, a league game and there was 50 odd thousand people at a, at a league game. You know, we, uh, you know, the house full uh, sign went up a number of times at uh, um, at Olympic Park that forged and forced and uh, and paid, I suppose, uh, a greater strength to get a, a purpose-built stadium um, uh, across the road. 
um, at Amy Park. So, uh, you know, selling grand finals out in a matter of hours, you know, having uh, 25,000 plus members in consecutive years. Um, it was, you know, just a, a gr- so many groundbreaking moments um, that uh, that will stick with me uh, for a long time. And uh, the two grand finals that you mentioned as well, Simon, it didn't slip, it didn't slip my radar. Uh, both on penalties, no, no, none of them in uh, uh, normal or injury time, both on penalties, so a little bit of fortune. So, but anyway, we move on. <laughs> um, let's uh, sort of take us on to some Twitter questions. Uh, we've had so many. This is unbelievable, seriously. They have flooded in like never before. Um, I'm going to ask you a couple of the <laughs> controversial ones because we have to touch upon them. Um, Let's start with this one. OS uh, sends this one in. Would love some insight into the aftermath of the Adrian Zara tackle in, in 2011. Mm. You, you, you mm. copped a lot of abuse. There was a lot of media coverage about it at the time. Um, yeah. Did you know that that was your moment to retire? Because I think you actually, that, that was your final game in professional football, I think, wasn't it, in 2011? Uh, yes, uh, there was a Champions League game, or still yeah. one or two Champions League, maybe one or two Champions League games. So I'm going to be honest, um, but I can't really recall. Probably, I mean, funny enough, it was uh, it was you know the everything that happened post that Simon. I, I, I can't uh, uh, say that it you know it wasn't uh, uh, deserved. Not the right word, but I've got to take responsibility and uh, and be accountable for my actions. Uh, uh, you know, again, you know, when you have time to reflect, and and uh, and we, as we get older, uh, you know, I sincerely, you know, wish and, and hope that that you know incident didn't happen, uh, but unfortunately, it did, um, and it was my error, and it was my uh, misjudgment, if you like, and uh, and I had to take responsibility for it, and uh, and 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 rightly so, I'm, t- I'm still taking responsibility for it now. Uh, that's a very honest answer, Mosky. Thanks for, for mm. giving that. Let's move on to another one from A-League Wrap-Up. What was said between you and John Cosmina during that infamous touchline scuffle, <laughs> if you can say it on a podcast? Were there words exchanged? Oh, I'm sure there were words exchanged, but I, I, mean, <laughs> I, uh, I, I, couldn't, I couldn't begin to try and uh, remember, or I'd be lying if I told you I knew what was said. Uh, in the end, it was uh, <laughs> really Avidmar trying to get in between us, but whose hand also stuck up, uh, uh, snuck up around my neck somehow. <laughs> uh, but it, look, uh, because he's a great competitor, and I think we went, we were seven games. We were the first seven from first seven league games. We'd won all of them, and that was the eighth one, and we were losing one nil, and we were at home. And uh, till this day, I've had the conversation with Cosy a number of times. I says to him, well. You were holding the ball underneath your seat and there was no time and I was trying to get the ball back. And the only way for me to get the ball back was to push you. Did I know I was going to push you? I admittedly say yes. I knew. Did I know you were going to fall off your seat? Yes. But he will not admit ever, and he hasn't admitted to me still, that he was holding the ball away from me. So I've admitted to my side of my uh, side of the story, but he still says he was trying to give the ball back to me, if you believe that. Oh, brilliant, brilliant. Um, yeah. let's, let's finish off with a couple uh, of, of different ones. Uh, this is our question of the week uh, that wins a $100 voucher from Outback Steakhouse. Congratulations to Simon McMahon. And Simon asks a very interesting question, I think. How is the prospect of relegation from a competition changed your coaching approach? 
Good question. Right, yeah, question. Inter yeah, interesting, interesting. I mean, and uh, it was only, I mean, it was a few weeks back as well where um, we were, I mean, we hadn't had a result. We hadn't had a win for quite some time and we were, uh, uh, and, and we got, anyway, got to the point where there was, you know, quite a bit of media attention and there was quite a bit of noise um, and, and what have you. And then it was one of those where, uh, you know, I can go in and, and try and get a short-term fix here in terms of a result. Uh, and a result will come and it will undo, uh, you know, what we've, you know, the, 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 the bricks we've put into place over the last, you know, seven, eight months, if you like. So it was a basically a catch-22 catch situation where I thought to myself, well, if we do, if I do do that and we get the short-term fix, you know, the belief's going to go out the window. So, again, that's the moment where you've really got to be true to yourself uh, and, and stick to your guns. Uh, yes, you know, we, we, we changed things, we changed even formation, but the principles of what we were trying to do and, and how we were trying to get results uh, remained. Um, and it was, you know, and you, you get that with the threat of relegation because all of a sudden it's, yeah, you know, the, the cries come from you've got to do this and you've got to change that and you've got to do this. And, uh, and it's the beauty of, uh, of our game that when you're not in a managerial or coaching uh, position, 98% of the population analyse the result. And 2% uh, of the population, the coaches, and maybe some players, analyse the performance. Uh, so, you know, I kept analysing the performance and uh, I, I still believe we're on the right, we're on the, uh, we're on the right track. We've made uh, a lot of progress. And uh, even though the threat of, you know, as you said, uh, you know, not only relegation, but the threat of job, the threat of uh, livelihood, all those things, uh, we, we've decided that we're going to remain true uh, to what we believe was going to be successful from the from the outset. Yeah, that's a that's a big difference, ain't it? From uh, being a big club at Melbourne Victory, manager of them, having everything, yeah. to being a smaller club in a league where you mm. can't compete uh, money wise like the Bruges and the standard Lieges. Yeah. yeah, it's it's it's. I mean, it's spot on, spot. It's it's. I mean, because everyone go, everyone starts to make comparisons. Or you know, victory. You, uh, you know, you had the better players, or you were the the club bruise, if you like. And uh, but ultimately, uh, yes, you know, people are different, but it's still football. Uh, yeah. Yes, there's there's many ways uh, uh, to achieve uh, things and to achieve success. And what's important is that we don't lose sight of what the definition of success is uh, at any given time. Um, and, uh, you know, I believe we've made the uh, grounds and we've made, you know, albeit, like I said, a, a lot of the people only analyse the results and, and, and rightly so. You know, that's, that's why it's so emotional, our game. Um, but uh, having said that, it's important that uh, you remain resilient and you stick to your beliefs. And, and, I, 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 and I've spoke to Ange, you know, quite a few times throughout this period. And he's been a, uh, a great sounding board um, uh, for me in that uh, uh, aspect as well. Oski, uh, we could talk probably for about the next three hours, but we're almost out of time. Um, one more question from Rene Faltzen on Facebook. Uh, being of Maltese heritage, were you ever asked to play for their national team? And if so, did you consider it? No, never never was asked, uh, Simon. I think at an early age, I mean, I was, you know, with uh, uh, more in the, in the under twenties and stuff. So I think from an early age, it was you know obvious that uh, you know I wanted to represent uh, you know Australia, our uh, our home. Masky, just the last question. I've got to ask this all the time. All right, you got to be short. 
You got to be short and sharp. Best stadium you've ever played at, and the biggest yeah. dungeon you've ever played at. Oh, dungeon is a tough one, Spider. The, the, <laughs> the, the best, the best stadium um, would have been Wembley uh, for a number of reasons. I mean, the old Wembley uh, for a number of reasons uh, because you know watching uh, so many FA Cup finals with my father. You know, growing up as a kid and you know getting up at all hours of the morning to watch those games. And early on, it was the only games we could watch was the England game, English uh, leagues, and and particularly the FA Cup final and. And the MCG for that, you know, qualifier against uh, Uruguay. Um, you know, I haven't been in Melbourne and growing up and uh, knowing what that, uh, you know, bit of land means to everybody in, in, in Melbourne. That was special as well. Dungeon Spider. Oh, they've played a few of those. Oh, there would have been, uh, you know, when we, when the, the, probably the, the easiest one was uh, Chapman Reserve. It was probably our ground that was probably the biggest <laughs> I've done in Sunshine George Cross. Did you, Spider, you would have been down there. I've been there. That is a dungeon. That is it a is. dungeon. I mean, I politely, I politely say that in, in the, with the greatest of respect, but I can remember like going there with my old man, Simon, and it's, uh, they'd let the grass grow longer than normal and the, the lines would be shut that. Uh, draw, um, painted in a lot narrower and the pitch would be short and I'd be thinking what's going on here it's because we were playing Adelaide City or, or South <laughs> Melbourne they, they go and make it as hard as possible for brilliant. but uh, brilliant yeah, no, good Oski, um, we're, time has beaten us unfortunately we really thank yeah. you for your time we, as I say we could talk for hours but uh, uh, thanks for sparing half an hour to, to be with us on the podcast and, uh, and all the very best of luck with, with everything in Belgium and uh, let's hope you, you survive relegation and, and go on to greater things cheers mate good, good on you thanks for your time boys really enjoyed it take care and that is us for this week join us the same time next week for more Shim Spider Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.